This is an ABC podcast. Hey parents, just a heads up. If divorce has touched your life as an adult or as a child, you might find parts of this podcast a bit difficult to listen to. Maybe keep some tissues handy. I do remember a night around when I was three years old when I realised my dad was leaving and not coming back again. I remember very clearly a sense of panic when I worked out that the coming and going was forever. My parents used to talk badly about each other to me when I was with just one of them, which made me feel so awkward and uncomfortable and icky. When my parents are in the same room, you feel like you're about to meet the Grim Reaper. It can be really stressful, like with all the fighting constantly and stuff like that. So one moment that I remember really well is hiding with my little brother. I was 11 and he would have been about eight in his bedroom and I was covering his ears and playing matchbox cars with him, trying to distract him from the fight outside because it was just so loud. Shouting, arguing, separation, divorce. When a relationship goes south, it can be so ugly and so painful. And living with constant conflict without a break is exhausting. But what about the impact on our kids? Child psychologist Vincent Papaleo. A nine-year-old girl said to me, my mum and dad don't get it. I'm half my mum and half my dad. And when they fight, it feels like the two halves of who I am are in conflict and I can't feel whole. The enormity of that statement is breathtaking and it is so true and I have shared that anecdote with so many of the young people I've seen and they say that's exactly what it feels like to me. It feels as though the person who I am is broken and split and that's what we want to avoid. We certainly do. I'm Maggie Dent and on this parental as anything, how divorce can impact and possibly damage our kids and what to do to stop it happening to yours. For decades, Vincent Papaleo has helped families going through divorce, including long and bitter court proceedings, which is technically code for he's seen it all, the good, the bad and the very, very ugly. So he knows better than anyone what not to do. Vincent, can we start from the very beginning? Around one in three Australian marriages ends in divorce. Is it better to divorce than to stay in a relationship with ongoing conflict? And what does the research say? That's a complicated question. (laughs) Um, um, I think that the one defining feature that we can speak of with some confidence is the level of conflict between parents and the exposure of the children to that conflict. So staying together and having lots of conflict is not necessarily helpful. However, having a divorce and separating and maintaining high levels of conflict certainly places children at very significant risk of later problems. What we know is that children whose parents separate, maintain high levels of conflict and embroil those children in that conflict have children who are very significantly higher risks of problems with anxiety and depression, drug and alcohol use, and at very significantly higher risks of having interpersonal relationships that are not stable and satisfying. Vincent, you speak to a lot of kids whose parents are divorcing 
What are they telling you? I guess um, if I could distill this down to to three three key points that I hear from young people all the time, and that is that they do not want to hear their parents' story. They do not want to carry messages between their parents or be responsible for their parents' communication, and they do not want to hear their parents or others close to them speak badly about their parents. Many of the children I see are continuously complaining that their parents are embroiling them, constantly telling their conflicting stories, speaking negatively and badly about each other, and for children that creates an unresolvable tension and conflict, and for some it becomes of overwhelming difficulty. And if that is the emotional milieu in which they reside, then there is likely to be some negative consequence to that. As compared to parents who separate, go through the process and continue to parent in a cooperative and authoritative manner, their children do no better or worse than children whose parents don't separate. So let's just say one parent uh, partner of a couple has decided it's time to split. What, if there is, a best way to tell your children that you are separating or divorcing? Anyone who's had that conversation understands how profoundly profoundly difficult it is and and how trying to choose the right words can feel overwhelmingly difficult. Oh, I have that a seared memory in my mind of that moment. Depending on the age of the children, it's my observation that you want to say a little bit less, not a bit more. Mm. Don't give complicated, uh, detailed, lengthy uh, narratives and dialogues of, as to why you're separating, but rather give factual material. Mm. Uh, Mum and I, Dad and I have been having some difficulties. You can see we've not been getting on. We've not been friends. We've decided not to live together anymore and we're going to separate. Firm, direct and to the point. No, we, we want to remind you how much we love you and things will be okay because that gets lost in the narrative. That Absolutely. is certainly an important yeah. conversation to have. But in that first delivery, uh, having less information that children are able to just take the core message from is, is so important. Then to talk about, you know, to allow that information to go in and, and the myriad of questions. And depending on the age of the children, they will ask questions such as, um, will I be allowed to see the other parent? Where will I go to school? Will I be able to bring my stuff? Who am I going to live with? All of those really relevant, important issues for them in the here and now. Vincent. It's, it's a really emotionally turbulent time for both parents. So can you please tell me the key things to avoid after the separation? What things can potentially damage our kids that we could possibly be able to avoid if we knew? Don't speak badly about each other in their presence. Do not constantly bombard them with your story. Remember that children only have one childhood and that the childhood that they have is formed as a consequence of the gifts and the problems that they carry into adulthood. The children will often blame themselves of their parents' conflict. Our responsibility is to create for them a stable, consistent, predictable world. The overwhelming social science research is that the one single best predictor of a child's level of post-separation adjustment is a level of conflict and the exposure to that conflict by their parents. Mm. So it's our job, I think, yeah. to protect them, and it's not unreasonable to protect them. And in my world, I think one of the best indicators of parental competence is the capacity of the parent to reflect upon the needs of their child to have a good relationship with the other parent. Oh, look, that is it, purely in a nutshell. And that was one of the things that drove my decisions was really thinking deeply. Now, if I make this decision, is that going to impact my boys? 
in any well, negative way. So therefore, it was really not about my needs or my sudden desires. It was more always putting it in that context. It took a while for us to get it sorted, but I know the benefits down the track are, are absolutely enormous. That, and also, I think it's that we have to plan how we're going to do this. And, and I think we're going to touch on that. How do we work out um, how much time, who does what, what are the monies and finances? Now, those things, if they can be Yes, we have a plan, but they also need to have flexibility because I know that, you know, sometimes one of the kids just wants to spend more time with dad or maybe that holiday arrangement because you usually have the first week would be better with the second week, that we make it as easy as possible to meet whatever is going to create more happiness for our children. Is that just being too practical? Do you think that's a good idea? No, look, I don't think that's being too practical. It's, I think it's a bit of a paradox, to be honest. Uh, I think that it is so simple but can be of enormous difficulty to achieve, that those sorts of discussions and negotiations can feel so complicated. And again, my observation is that for some families who are right in the midst of it, compromise can feel like a loss. Yeah. And it's not a loss. And I guess if I have one parenting bias is that it's not a democracy, it's a benevolent autocracy. <laughs> and what we want to do is we want to give children the choice to do anything they want on condition it's what we want them to do. <laughs> so that there is a range of choices within sort of fixed parameters. So, but they shouldn't be overempowered. They shouldn't be the tail that wags the dog. Yeah. They should be invited to have a view and express an opinion. But what most of the children I see want is for their parents to cooperate, make the decision and get on with it. Yes, yes. Um, and, and overwhelmingly what I hear from kids is they want peace, they want parental cooperation, they want calm, they want to focus on their relationship with their family, they want to be excluded from the conflict. It's important to remember that conflict is the responsibility of parents, not the responsibility of children. And we don't want them to be caught in that sort of no man's land of feuding parents when they understand that in that place, if they lift their head up, they're likely to be you know, in danger. Yeah. So they always have to go underneath the, the conflict as a way of trying to keep calm and peace, which is a lot of psychological energy being expended on something that really isn't about them. And unfortunately, this was Josie's experience. I don't believe they were going to be violent, but my sister and I had to remove ourselves and we actually went and hidden in our wardrobes so that we weren't brought into the conflict. So that's something I think that parents who are divorcing will also do is, is bring children into that conflict. Like, Josie, tell your dad that you don't want to do that. That's a horrible position to put a child in. We didn't want to put ourselves in a position to hurt anyone. And when tensions are high, things can be said and you can't take those back. And we, we remembered those. They may be fleeting comments in the heat of the argument, but my sister and I can often quote conflict that happened throughout the last 12 years because it was such a pivotal time in our lives. Okay, so Vincent, what are some of the signs that our kids are really, really not coping and struggling because of a divorce or separation? Can we start with the primary age kids first? All the cluster of anxieties, separation anxiety, problems at school, changes in behaviour. If you look at healthy development as being biological, psychological and social, how is that child progressing along those, those continua? How are they socially? Are they still interacting in a way with the world that tells people around them that they're well? 
How are they biologically eating, sleeping, toileting? Are there any significant changes or regressions? Are they transitioning between their parents comfortably? Are they stressed and distressed? And if so, why? So primary school age children often display quite transparent behaviour that they're not coping. And it's usually seen by the people around them fairly readily. Okay, now teens are not quite so transparent. That's Um, right. You know, so we already know that that's a difficult time of life for them anyway because they've got so many changes going on that are creating stress. When do we get worried about our teens while we're in that separation journey? Teenagers are are a complicated group, Mm -hmm. especially around loyalty, around their understanding of the separation and the circumstances is quite different. So they can think about thinking. Uh, they can imagine how other people feel. They can, they'll certainly have a view about the behaviour of their parents. They'll have a judgement about that. What we do not want is we don't want children who are confronted with their parents' conflict and in response flee to their peer group. Mm. Um, Which is what they most likely will do. And depending on how their peer group functions, that can be really supportive or it can, in fact, expose them to really quite significant problems. Okay, so I hear from lots of parents who want to co-parent, you know, with exactly what you're saying, the interests of the child in mind first, but the other parent just keeps on driving the conflict even years after Mm -hmm. the divorce. What can they do? It unfortunately is correct that it can take one to tango. Mm -hmm. Yep. And sometimes families do get drawn into this vortex of of conflict and litigation that can be very, very difficult to get out of. The simple, possibly naive response to your question is to try and make decisions through the eyes of your children, do what's best for them. That is often infinitely more difficult. When you have one person driving the conflict, the advice I give to people is to seek to neutralise the conflict and not escalate that conflict. Mm. I think responding and retaliating and escalating and firing back missiles is likely to inflame the situation unnecessarily and impossibly. In the high conflict families that I see, one of the most prominent features is what I would describe as the external locus of control and responsibility. So they say, the reason I behave like this is because you've done that. And you can perpetuate conflict continuously if you say, well, the reason I'm acting this way is because of the way you've behaved or the way you think or how you've acted, rather than looking in the mirror and saying, well, what am I doing and how can I contribute to a better outcome? And a better outcome in the first instance during that raw emotion might be to not escalate the conflict, to take a step away, to you know, bite your tongue, to reflect, to eat humble pie, whatever the case may be, as compared to choosing a course of action that you know is going to escalate the conflict and escalate the discord and discontent. Some of these conflicts can go on for decades. Vincent, is repair ever possible for the sake of the children in those situations? The vast majority of families repair and move on and resolve the grief, there is a very small percentage of families that remain in heightened conflict always and don't get past it. We're talking small percentages. The problem, of course, is that the the small percentages do disproportionately high amounts of damage. Yep. Yep, Um, And then those damaged individuals exponentially are likely to replicate the damage across generations of trauma 
there are really good reasons to try and take the course of least resistance. There are really good reasons to seek out help. There's really good reason to take the good advice of your lawyers. There's really good reason to seek mediation. There's really good reason to be very, very child-focused. And to remember that it's a journey. We will get through this. It can repair if you allow it to repair. Yeah, exactly. And it's choose the light instead of the dark. And this can be done if you're really conscious about how you act with each other. Joe and her ex decided to choose the light for the sake of their child, knowing that it was going to be a very long road. I remember very clearly the first moment I realised that I would have to break up with my child's father and I was still pregnant. So he has a lot of anger towards me for breaking up the family, but he always had the best interest of our child at heart, as did I. And so even though he was angry and hurt and didn't want to have anything to do with me, and I would have been quite happy to not have anything to do with him, we still had to raise a small child into an adult. And so we we did that for, gosh, 15 years we co-parented, week on, week off, and just made sure to the best of our ability that our child was looked after and happy and healthy. And at the end of year 12, in which our kid did really well, extremely well, in fact, we'd done such a good job of raising this wonderful human being, even though we were still actually hardly talking, that we high-fived each other. We high-fived and we said we did it. And then we agreed, I'm really happy to never have to talk to you again. But for some of you, this isn't an option because you are still in the thick of co-parenting, like this dad who has some advice. One of the things that I've really pulled my head in on after the separation is the communication side of things. Text messages, while they might seem great, easy and convenient, they are the worst because they can be misinterpreted, misread. Anything with emotion in it or potential to have emotion in it or that could be misconstrued, misunderstood, don't send it via a text. That's what I've learned. Clear communication is the only way to go. Now, Vincent, keeping things out of court is a goal for most people, but you say sometimes you actually need to head to court. What are some of those reasons, please? Um, Some family situations have to go where there is a really serious power imbalance, for example, whether when there are allegations of really significant serious family violence, where there are real safety issues and power imbalance and um, there's real lethality involved when parents have mental health issues and serious mental health issues or personality problems that drives conflict, drug and alcohol, cases of relocation are often very difficult to resolve. Most cases, however, aren't at that end and can be resolved with some input and assistance. So there are many ways that parents get to sort out um, the care and sharing care. I mean, I've known of some uh, couples who have separated and divorced and still live in the same house or ones that swap a house and an apartment when it's their turn. So there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of different ways, isn't there? Yes, there are. But what is your, you know, fundamental views on the best way for children in terms of sharing care after separation? Look, I I have a really, really strong view about this. Um, And that is, again, by way of analogy, you can cut an apple in half, but that doesn't mean you're sharing it. 
You just have half mm-hmm. an apple. Mm-hmm. So you could, you and I could share an apple by taking a bite at a time. We could share an apple equally and unequally. It is the impact on the apple that is my concern. There is no evidence to suggest that any particular parenting time or parenting arrangement is better or worse than any other. And if parents agree, and because of their work and their circumstances, that they have to enter into a less than traditional arrangement, children are fine with that because their parents are telling them, this is what you have to do. We've got no choice. Uh, And this is what mum and I, dad and I have decided to do. Regardless of what everybody else thinks. Regardless of what it means. That's right. Our, fa- our family, our this, family is what, yeah. this is what we have to do in our family to make it worse yeah. work. I do think that it's the difference between cooperative co-parenting and parenting in parallel. They, they are quite, quite different. I think it is generally better to have both parents more actively involved in your life than less actively involved in your life. If that can be cooperative and if that can be cohesive, then the impact in a positive sense can be immeasurable in ways that most people don't see, but only understand upon reflection. We want children to be more actively involved with extended family, if that's possible, and connected to their normal networks. So if you like, the three things that I would look for in terms of trying to help parents establish a good parenting plan is to minimise loss in the broader sense, minimise loss of school, family, extended family, networks, friends, sporting clubs, etc., etc. Maximise time with both parents and do so in a manner that is age and stage sensitive. Very small children, for example, really do significantly better if they're predominantly in one place and have free and liberal contact with the other parent. But change can be quite difficult for them. Teenagers often benefit from having their views respected and a parenting plan made in alignment with those views and feelings rather than just being told what to do. So uh, in in answer to your question... um, there's no parenting arrangement that is singularly better or worse than others, but if we're able to ensure that children are having more time with their parents rather than less time with their parents, common sense dictates that that's a good thing. And also, let's just make sure those significant moments of children's lives still can, you know, as soon as you can, you have both the parents there, regardless of whether you've got bonus mums and bonus dads, because they really do want you together for those Christmas Easter's and birthdays. They just want you in the same space because they still love you both. And that's what used to be normal. The sooner we can get to that point, I feel it's not always comfortable to start with, but the sooner you get over that one, it just becomes part of that new normal. And it's like having a giant, bigger family. Absolutely. If you are able to achieve that, the gift, uh, a gift of peace and calm that you give to your children and the benefit to them of having a sense of family, as compared, unfortunately, to the alternative where every birthday, Christmas, school event is a source of terror. Oh my God, what's going to happen? What, what is he or she going to do? What is, what, how are they going to act? What are they going to say? How are they going to look at each other? At, when children become involved in managing their parents' relationship by splitting and, and fragmenting them, I think you've got kids who are in crisis. I, I suppose if I could leave on a, a sort of a final message, it's this notion that the family continues. The family is in perpetuity, that when children think about their parents, they will only think about these two people and they will be the parents to these children until the, the children die, not until the parents die. The legacy that we give endures into the future and trying to support and protect the family as a unit and as a concept is is so important and so protective. Yeah. And if we can honour that role of parents, whether it's a mum or a dad or a dad and a dad and a mum and a mum, we honour that as we move forward and wish them well because we didn't get together with them 
you know, to break up. We we had a dream and that didn't quite, you know, succeed. So let's be growing up, as my mum would say, put your big pants on and act like growing ups in a respectful and, and um, compassionate way. And I think we'd put people like yourself out of business, maybe, Vincent. Uh, yes, indeed, we might. <laughs> Now, I know that some of what we've covered was pretty tough going, but divorce doesn't have to be all bad. Many of you wonderful folks shared stories of your parents' good divorces with me, and I just love these. When Dad got remarried, um, his new wife actually got dressed for the wedding at my mum's house. And when they had a baby, Dad was harvesting and Mum picked her up with the baby from the hospital and took them home. What I've realised is that I was not negatively impacted at all by my parents' divorce because of how they, and particularly my mum, handled it. And how I viewed divorce was that it was a positive outcome for me because I got the best of both my parents as opposed to kind of getting the worst of them together, trying to make a broken marriage work. My mum would just pop over and have a cup of tea at my dad's house and they would chat and it was just the healthiest modelling of how you can be separate but still a family and I am forever grateful to them for that. My dad and stepdad were actually, and the three of them were close friends growing up. So growing up with the three of them, it, it did feel very friendly. Dad would often come and spend time with us in the house I grew up in with my stepdad and mum. And even to this day, everything is uh, quite shared and open with them all. It's such a unique perspective to have, I think, to view divorce as something beautiful and friendly and full of love still. So my suggestions are definitely put your big pants on and prioritise your children. However, be realistic about how long it does take to adjust. There's grief, there's uncertainty, there's a different way of making decisions. And the more conscious and aware that we are as parents about the impact on our kids, the better it will be. I think the other one for me is it took a number of years till we got into that place where we were able to be caring and respectful co-parents. And I think if you can do that, then you have a chance of doing exactly what my big long, big mob family is doing, and that is sharing the most wonderful years of grandparenting with the same joy and delight we did with early childhood. So it wasn't always easy, but I did recognise that sometimes we absolutely have to be sensible, mature, grown-ups, making choices for the best experiences of our kids. And it does help when we have a whole tribe of other people, aunts and uncles or extended family or grandparents or really good friends who can support the family that now is living in two houses. That really does make a difference. And if this episode has brought something up for you, help is available. Call 1800RESPECT or the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. And for more on how to do divorce better, check out the Good Divorce podcast. In this six-part series, 
Tamara O'Dine discovers just what it takes to have a good divorce from people who have seriously nailed it. We share 50-50 care of our children and we make that very easy for ourselves by living in side-by-side ground floor apartments. My daughter has her bedroom in my ex's house and my son has his bedroom in mine. There's just been no animosity since day one of our split. We'd uh, recently sold a house and we just both agreed to go to the bank. The very first weekend after we split up, we just created separate bank accounts and split it 50-50. You can find The Good Divorce only on the ABC Listen app. I'll catch you next time on Parental As Anything with me, Maggie Dent. Listener.